Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It is Tuesday, August 27th. Oh, gosh, a little tear just rolled down my cheeks. I can't believe it's the end of summer. Anyway, it's 10.30 a.m. Central Time. We're live out of Chicago, and it's sunny, and it still feels like summer, so that's what I'm going to focus on. Just a few moments, our monthly guest, Claire Day, is going to join us. We're going to continue the conversation that we had in July. We started talking about risk factors for Alzheimer's, which led us to a conversation that, oh my gosh, during caregiving, those are risk factors we live with because of the stress and demands of caregiving. So what do we do? What if our caregiving experience puts us at risk in essence? How do we cope? So Claire's going to help us walk work through that and help us create some strategies so that we can feel like we're taking a little bit better care of ourselves, as hard as it may be. A couple quick updates for you. We have a contest going on right now on caregiving.com that awards two family caregivers or former family caregivers $1,000 to get to our fourth annual National Caregiving Conference in Chicago. In November, you can enter for a chance to win by stopping by caregiving.com, looking for our headline that says, Get Me to Chicago. Click on that headline and then post a comment about why you want to join us in November in Chicago for our conference. You can post today and tomorrow. The contest ends tomorrow, but every time you share a a comment, It's an entrance into our contest. So our contest started on Sunday. So if you were on the ball, you could have been posting a comment on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But it's not too late. You can post a comment today and then tomorrow. And that's two entries into our contest to receive $1,000 to use toward the expenses of coming to our National Caregiving Conference in Chicago in November. We have secured a new presenter. So we have a new keynote for our Friday morning, actually to start our Friday morning, and that is the Illinois Lieutenant Governor, Julia Stratton, who cared for her mom. She's gonna talk about her experiences as a family caregiver. She is completing a listening tour in the state of Illinois with family caregivers at our conference. So come if you can. If you can't join us in Chicago, we totally understand that. We are virtually broadcasting sessions on Friday and Saturday, and the Lieutenant Governor will be part of that virtual broadcast on Friday. So you can go to caregiving.com for all the information about our conference and our contest. So joining me this morning is Claire Day. She's the Chief Program Officer for the Alzheimer's Association Northern California and Northern Nevada chapter. And Claire is our dementia care expert who joins us every month. Good morning, Claire. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Denise. Always happy to be with you. So last month, you were giving us an overview of a conference that had just completed, which was, I always get the, I I remember what the, the letters are, but I forget what they stand for. So the International... Yeah, the Alzheimer's Association International Conference. There we go. Okay. 
So that had just completed in July. You were giving us an overview of what was really coming out of the conference. We were talking about risk factors that really we have a better understanding of what puts us at risk for a disease like Alzheimer's. And in our conversation, we really did say we understand that what puts us at risk is part of our caregiving experience, which could be lack of sleep, not necessarily having time to exercise, and maybe not necessarily having the best healthy diet, which makes us wonder, what if caregiving puts us at risk for Alzheimer's disease? Oh, gosh. Okay, so when you think about it from that perspective, Claire, what comes to mind for you? Well, I think a couple of things. One is that um, I'm, I'm, I'm always very cautious and concerned about having these conversations with caregivers because in my present state today, I am not a caregiver. Um, and it's, it's that whole do as I say, not as I do, or do as I, I guess it's not really the same, but it's that feeling of it's easy for me to sit on this side of the conversation and, and shout out stats and, and facts about um, research and about risk factors um, and, and then say, okay, so, go, you know, go put this into practice when the reality of caregiving isn't quite that simple. So I think um, I, I just wanted to sort of level set a little when we talk today about, you know, I think you and I both have had this conversation. We've mentioned it on the show before, and, and we've mentioned it in our own conversations with each other, that it's really, you know, I think this is the um, – that the tough question is that we have some really great um, data to show why you should be doing these things, but then it's how as a caregiver do I put that into practice? So I just sort of, I think that's my first thing that bubbles up. And, you know, you just, you mentioned something as we were getting ready to go on the air today about, um, you know, it's great that we're finding all this research that's showing us the reduction, the, how risk reduction can play a, a part in people's lives as we age, as our brains age. But, you know, we also, it's like, okay, well, we know, we know what puts us on risk. Now what do we, we need the research to show what we can do about it, which we're not quite there with yet. Uh, but I did want to sort of mention that because I thought it was a very valid point that you brought up. So I think for me, that's, I, you know, I, that's where I come from when it, it comes from this is like what we're going to talk about over the next 25 minutes or so is I think all stuff that caregivers know in their hearts, but I think really just wanting to put the value on why it's so important and that if there are things that they can be doing to um, take steps, um, there's really good data now to show why it's so important. Yeah, and I've been thinking about what I've been doing personally, and I've been just picking like one thing that I think, okay, I can do that. Sometimes when we look at what's recommended for, for us, it's a list of, <laughs> of things to do, and the reality is we can't necessarily do that list, but we might be able to yeah. pick out one thing. So I think I had mentioned this in July. I started doing the intermittent fasting so I make sure to wait 12 hours after I have dinner before I have breakfast. That is supposed to help. So I feel like, okay, that is one thing I'm doing, and I'm committed to it, I'm consistent about it, and I can feel like, okay, I've had success in that I do that. 
And I think we can look at something like that for our own lives. What's the one thing that maybe we can do that helps us feel like, okay, I am doing something to help myself feel better. Like when we were talking this morning, you had already been on the treadmill, maybe getting up a little bit early and doing some kind of stretching or workout before the day begins. The problem, of course, even with that idea, is sometimes you don't get to bed until so late that it's hard to get even get out of bed. And so you might get up and out of bed like at the last minute because you want to sleep. And then you feel like, right. I'm just behind. I'm just behind. Yeah. And I think that's a great example because, um, you know, you and I were talking about there's been some recent studies that have talked about, you know, we've talked about sleep. We've talked about sleep apnea, how obstructive sleep apnea puts you at increased risk. Um, we know that sleep deprivation can increase the Alzheimer's protein in the brain and potentially put you at advanced risk. But, but there was a recent study, and I think, um, I think we're talking about the same study, but if yours is different, that means there's two recent studies that talks about um, in this particular study out of Buffalo, nine out of 10 people caring for someone with Alzheimer's did not get enough sleep. Um, and so there, this, this, study conducted um, finds that 90% of those who care for a family member with dementia don't get enough sleep on a regular basis, um, and that um, that means less than six hours. I think that's what they consider to be enough sleep. Um, and so that these particular caregivers participating in the study, um, and I love the way they wrote this, enjoyed less than, because I do love sleeping. <laughs> I do enjoy going yes. to sleep at night. Oh, it's yes. such a great way to write awesome. it. Awesome. Um, yes. Enjoyed less than six hours of sleep on average per night. Um, they were frequently woken up throughout the night as often as four times per hour. Um, and these sleep disruptions can lead to, to that sort of chronic sleep deprivation, which can put um, caretakers at risk um, of lots of things. Um, including potentially an increased risk of dementia, but also things like weight gain and heart disease and depression, which could lead to an earlier death. Um, and so when we, you know, when we talk about caring for the caregiver, I think that sort of really encapsulates why we're so worried about it. Um, is that the same study you were talking about, the 9 out of 10? Or was it yeah, a different I one? Yeah, I think it was. I, yeah, I think that was the one. I saw it either Sunday or at the end of last week, oh, my gosh, and you just feel like you, the family caregivers who are not getting a restful night's sleep must wake up feeling so groggy and so, oh, you know, you get that stomach ache when, you're not, when you don't have enough sleep, and then you crave just energy, and so the energy you crave is all the stuff that's not good for us. It's, right. It just sets us up for so many problems. And yet, what's the solution for a good night's sleep? That's the, that's the million-dollar question right there. <laughs> no, yeah. I know. What is the solution for that? I just – Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, – go ahead. Sorry. I don't want to cut you off. Oh, no, that's okay. I guess I just think – Oh my heavens, we just, this is what we were talking about earlier too before the show started. You know, we just focus so, so much on the research of the problem. 
we know these problems exist. When I read that study, I was like, I mean, hello, of course. I mean, it was nothing ground shaking. It was nothing that shifted my perspective. And I thought, oh my gosh, here it is, more research around the problem. Where's the money going yeah. for the solution? Why is yeah. it that still, after these decades of information about the impact of dementia on the family caregiver, are we still talking about the problem rather than looking at let's fund a solution? <sighs> well, and I will yeah, say, so- I, I think there are, I think there is lots of research being out there on trying to find that solution, but I don't, but we're not, but probably not enough. Um, but, but I also, you know, when you talked earlier today and you said we come at, you know, we meaning the, the community, right? We have all of these mm-hmm. potential, like you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and that. And, so, and this is, sleep is no different. There's potential, lots of different things that could be causing um, sleep changes. So I do think that that's a good strategy to think of with, if you're a care partner, um, and you're and you know you're falling into this bucket of not getting enough sleep. Um, it could be for two reasons, right? One could be that you're up so late doing those other things because once your Carrie goes to bed, that's the magic hour for you, right? That's when you can um, do things around the house, pay bills, um, get your work done, or what I would hope that you're doing is doing something for yourself in those hours. Um, and so that could be why you're going to sleep later and then your Carrie is potentially waking up at a regular hour. So that sort of starts the day off um, at, a, at that time. Or it's the second part, right, where your Carrie is not sleeping throughout the night. They're up throughout the night. And so you may be going to bed at what you consider to be a reasonable time to get sort of six to seven hours of sleep, and yet you're disrupted throughout the night. So that might be one way that caregivers can sort of start to think about this is, okay, which bucket do I fall in? And hopefully you don't fall into both, but many people probably do fall into both. Um, But maybe it's looking at one, making that first step towards one of the changes rather than having to address both of the changes. Um, You know, there are common sleep changes that people with Alzheimer's and dementia experience um, we're we're not quite sure why, um, but as with changes in memory and behavior, um, sleep changes somehow um, result um, from the impact of Alzheimer's on the brain. And so it's important that these disturbances um, that we that we try to think of ways that um, people can um, can address some of these um, these sleep changes. And so, the easiest one to think about is when it's due to the fact that the person living with dementia may be sleeping more during the day. Because I think personally those are the easiest, maybe not the easiest, but there, there are many solutions to try to try to try change that sleeping behavior. Like thinking about um, what kind of activities you can be doing during the day that will keep the person awake and maybe um, keep them more active so that they're not napping as much. That inactivity, um, I think we've all had that experience where, you know, it just takes 20 minutes on a nice summer afternoon in the sunshine uh, of not moving, and it can lull you into a, a nice little afternoon nap. Um, I, I 
I'm sure you and I have never done that, Denise, right? Um, <laughs> never. <laughs> so, so that could be um, one sort of thing to look at is how, how that sort of daytime napping and other shifts may um, make you feel, if you feel drowsy during the day, you're going to take those naps and then you might be unable to sleep. Um, but then it, it can also be that people can have difficulty with um, sleeping. And so they're waking up often regardless of, of how many, um, how, how active they've been throughout the day. Um, and so sort of um, monitoring some of those patterns to see whether or not um, there's um, a way to figure out which bucket you fall into. I don't know. I, you probably have better ideas than I do. No, this is great, Claire, because what I do love about this is we don't have to decide, I'm just not going to sleep. This is, this is my life. I just have to accept it. I think it's this idea that I can accept that maybe how sleep happens is different for me right now, and I'm going to look at what can I do to maximize the amount of rest I get within a 24-hour period or something like that. And the idea of if I need to be more active, well, maybe my carrying needs to be more active. So what can we do together that gets us yeah. more active? What are the opportunities, yeah. for instance, for us both to maybe have some relaxation? I don't know. You know, there's, there's things that we can do that can help us relax, and maybe that would help our carry at the end of the day if it feels like there's a lot of agitation, which is difficult for bedtime. Maybe there's some things that we can do, like with essential oils, or music, or gentle touch with massaging that can help both of us feel like, okay, I'm relaxed. I'm ready. I'm ready to sleep. And I also think yeah, the point I, of staying up late to get things done, maybe it's okay to not stay up late to get things done. Maybe they're not that as important. Maybe really and truly yeah. the priority is the sleep. And everything else can wait because sleep can't. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, I think that there are lots of um, non, um, non-drug treatment things that, that carers can consider um, and can think about to try and, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, that um, care, carers become little detectives. Right, they're constantly yeah. on an investigation yeah. <laughs> to figure out yeah. what's causing this particular roadblock and/or you know what possible interventions may work. Um, and it's um, everybody, everybody that um, becomes an Alzheimer's or dementia caregiver should become a should get a detective certificate because it really is. Yes. It's about investigation, right? It's about trial and error, and it's about trying something even if you think in that that wouldn't work um you know like the the restful like the meditation the the essential oils the things that you just talked about um you know i i think about um you know personalities 20 years ago might not have gone for that thing but who knows with um with with dementia whether or not that's something that someone would actually respond well to because it is soothing and it does bring that sort of moment of peace, even though it seems like, well, I don't think my dad would have ever liked that, but maybe it would work. So there's a lot of that too, right? There's a lot of that, well, let's give it a try and see if it might work. 
Um, one thing I do want to mention is there's been some studies around um, some of the the cholinesterase inhibitors, so Aricept, Exxon, Razadine, um, avoid giving those medications before bed if that's, um, if that's possible. And so that would be one of those things where you'd want to work with your primary care physician or your, your um, whoever's um, prescribing that medication for your loved one um, and see if there's a way to um, give that medication earlier in the day or even um, once a day if possible. I mean, that obviously will depend on dosing, but um, there's some um, some indication to suggest that that's um, that it might make the person a little bit more active, and and so giving it right before bedtime is not advised. Um, and another thing I think we don't talk about enough because we're so focused on the dementia is is there something else contributing to why we're not sleeping? So is there is there pain or is there something else going on? Because we we love to just um, I think as sort of care educators make assumptions that, well, if, yeah, sleep disruptions come when you have Alzheimer's disease. So it's, it's common that people with dementia don't sleep well, but maybe there's more to that. Maybe they're in pain. Maybe something's, um, maybe the, the, the room's not comfortable or the, um, the dress, the bed clothes aren't comfortable. Maybe there's, they're itchy, something, there could be other things that are causing the person to not um, be able to sleep through the night. Um, and also thinking about um, some of those um, external factors like the, the temperature. Um, is, the, is the temperature comfortable enough? Um, is there enough um, feeling of uh, being safe and, and feeling that, um, that they're, uh, you know, like if, is there enough light or not too much light? It's it's a balance, right? You got to find what works for that person. I want to mention something about essential oils because I started using them a year ago. I'm not as committed to them as I probably would benefit from, but here was the unexpected advantage of using essential oils. <laughs> if something was going wrong. I could look up on Google what's the blend of essential oils I can use or which essential oils will help me with this problem. There was something about the power of having a solution in a basket where I keep my bottles of essential oils that was so comforting. <laughs> it wasn't like I felt like, oh, my God, something terrible is going wrong with my body, <laughs> like I have an upset stomach. Or I had um, some really difficult muscle problems in one of my arms. It's kind of a long story. But anyway, once I started using essential oils on my muscles, I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better. But it was a relief even before I started using the essential oils that I could look at creating my own solution right here in my house without having to call the yeah. doctor or run to the pharmacy. That in and of itself was really helpful. Sometimes it's the idea of help that helps. I love the idea yeah. that you can, talk, you can talk to your doctor, too, about maybe it's another kind of medication that is disrupting sleep for your carry. Maybe it's not specific to dementia, but it could be another medication that's causing problems. I love this idea that we can be a detective to figure out what's going wrong and uncover a problem that might have a solution. 
We don't have to be resigned to the fact that, well, everybody says you can't sleep when you're caring for someone with dementia. So there you go. I'm not going to sleep for the next 10 years. Yeah. I think it's helpful to know that you can figure it out. And I think that's a really important time. I think that's a very important time to talk about your physician. When you've tried all of these things, you've taken them out, there, you know, there. You are both. You're both getting enough exercise during the day. You're limiting mm-hmm. um, naps. You're. You try essential oils. You do the back rubs and the all of the, those things. The mood lighting is perfect. The the everything. You know, everything's tried, and you're still the person's still waking up, or you're not sleeping. Um, you know, there are. Um, there are not um, when those non-drug approaches fail. Um, there is medication, um, but I think that experts have really sort of set, wanted to set the the expectations around what those drugs can do. That that they do put you at the potential for more increased risks. Um, and if you but it, if you do get to that point, it's a great conversation to have with your physician. And really experts are suggesting that you sort of begin with a very low dose and go slowly incrementing if, if need be, because there are risks of those medications for older people who are cognitive impaired. They're, they're pretty considerable. Um, falls, fractures, confusion, um, decline in their ability to care for themselves. And so we don't want groggy, right? Right. But I do, right. it's worth mentioning that those conversations should be had with your medical professional um, if it gets to the point where you're at risk of all those things that were just the side effects, right? If you're not getting enough sleep, you're at risk for increased falls. You're at risk for being groggy. You're at risk for um, all of those other things because we need we need sleep to recharge, but we also need sleep to function. People cannot go days upon days with only two hours of sleep. It's, it's, it's not even just the increased risk of dementia. It's all those other things that could, um, could happen as a result of, of you not getting enough sleep. So it's just, I, I don't recommend sleeping pills unless it's a last resort, but I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, sleep is really important, and so you need to involve people in that conversation um, if you're not getting enough of it or if your loved one's not getting enough of it. You know, and I can't decide if this is a good idea or not, but I'm going to throw it out as something that could potentially be a good or bad idea. If you have people in your life who live nearby, like family members who have often said, tell me how I can help, Maybe they could help by spending the night and being mm. the person who manages the care when they get up during the night once a week or once a month or something so that you know that there's a day coming or a night coming that you're going to be able to sleep through the night. I can't decide if that's a good idea, but it's something worth considering that if people wanted to take a night shift, and spend the night and be the one who gets up with a caree in the middle of the night so the family caregiver can get a good night's sleep, maybe that's a possibility. And I can't decide if people would be more open to that or not. I don't know. I don't know. 
Well, I think as long as you do some prepping and planning and that it's someone that your loved one is familiar with, because I think that could cause um, more disruption if it's not someone they know that's there in the middle of the night. Maybe not. Um, There are plenty of people that have um, paid care partners, caregivers that come in to provide that support overnight. So maybe not. I think it just depends on the situation. But I think as a carer, it would make me feel better to know, well, I know mom or dad or I know my husband knows this person. So I'm going to feel more comfortable in the middle of the night letting go because that's part of it too, right, is that whole let it go thing. Um, But I think in advance coordination and maybe, um, you know, some definitely some training on what that – not – not necessarily formal training, but just the expectations. I think people would need to be fully aware of what those expectations and what incidences could occur in the middle of the night so that it doesn't cause what you're alluding to, which I think is that um, it could be a a frustration or upsetting to both parties, right? The person that comes in to help because they don't feel they're prepared or they're scared or they're really not feeling confident that they have the skills to provide this level of support it sort of sets expectations, but but I also think you know whether it's a friend or whether it's um, this is where that um, that opportunity to involve um, oh. those family members that aren't providing the day in day out hands on care, but they ha- should have a vested interest. That's a great opportunity um, for that as well to look at who else is in my care circle. Um, whether it's siblings or um, other relatives that have provided some sort of primary um, support and and have a vested interest in the care of this person, let's let's bring them into this um, into this as well because sleep is so important for everybody, not just the person with dementia, but for you as well. Yeah, I guess I just can't decide if. A family member might be more open to that, to helping at night, because there's no, you're getting up during the night a few times, but it doesn't feel like the intensity of the day. I, I, I just can't decide if, <laughs> if people would be open and, to that or not. I you don't know, know, I think it's going to depend try on it. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the person and the situation, honestly. I think because right. for some people, they might like the fact that, the chances of the interaction are going to be less during the night. Right. But the intensity of the interaction may be higher. So it's, I think it depends on, I think it depends on the person and it depends on every person, right? The, the, right. the care circle is around that one person in the middle, that most important person, the person living with dementia and the care partner that's there day in, day out. Um, and so it has to work for both of them as well. You know, I guess I think of, we're kind of going a little over today, but I'm still thinking about this. I guess I think of young adults who like to stay up late at night. I wonder if mm. that might be an appropriate person because they could stay up late at night doing what they do late at night, like play video games or whatever. And it's not going to necessarily yeah. disrupt their sleep, but they're going to be available to help. So that might be someone who could be an helpful. Option. I also yeah, mm-hmm. I also think we talk we talk about respite care. We look at daytime breaks, like using an adult day center or using a home health aid. 
you had talked about maybe there's an opportunity for nighttime help that you hire once in a while. But part of respite care can also be using a facility for even a weekend. There are mm-hmm. some facilities that do just have a three-day break where your carry stays for three days so you can get that sleep. And that might be something that you think about once a quarter. This is what I budget for. It's a three-night break. My carry goes to a local assisted living facility. I stay at home. I get the house to myself, and I sleep. And maybe that's where you get energized enough to feel like, okay, I can go for three more months. This is not forever. This is just a short term until I get my next break. Okay. I think that was absolutely I, that was really helpful. That was helpful, Claire, talking this out. <laughs> you got me thinking about my own sleep differently. So thank you so much, as always, Claire, for joining us. It's always great of to course. talk these issues out and think about what could be better. Because I think we both really believe that something can be better. We want to bring that out. So thank you again, Claire. Have a great Labor Day weekend. You too. And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we really do truly love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.